You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we take a departure for the next three weeks from our series in Romans to reflect on the Easter season. Our three-week series focuses on Jesus' final days leading up to his crucifixion and ultimate resurrection. Today, we begin in Luke chapter 23, and it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit would speak to and change us through God's Word. Well, good morning, church. How are we? If you have your Bibles, would you open to Luke chapter 22? Luke 22. Uh, as, as we get ready, we are jumping into uh, one of the most precious sections of, of the Scriptures. Uh, even as we look at across all four Gospels, we are going to see clearly the beauty of Christ. And as you are finding your way there, uh, I want to take a moment and to kind of give you a, a little bit of step back of, of the last couple of days. Um, as you know, and you are well aware, we've had some pretty severe weather uh, over the course of, of Mississippi and, and maybe even more coming this afternoon and, and even into tomorrow. Um, but we want you to know what we know as a church uh, and want you to know where we are going as a church and where we want to invite you in. So here's what we know so far. Um, that there was uh, a lot of devastation caused by a tornado that ran seemingly from Roland Fork all the way to Amory. And all of its path in between seems to be devastated. Uh, what we are doing as Broadmoor is we are focusing uh, and working with first responders and local businesses in each one of those areas. Um, and we have already sent two teams just yesterday to go uh, and serve and, 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 and minister and even do some reconnaissance as we see what we can do, what can be done, what is needed and what is not needed right now. Uh, and I just want to give you just kind of a, a heart of, of where we believe we are and God's grace in it. Uh, we were up here yesterday, many of you were up here yesterday, a part of our, our spring cleaning on our campus. It's the work day that we had, and um, we, we got word that, that there was a specific need uh, near Roland Fork, and, and so we had a group of men decide, hey, I think we'll peel off and we'll just go. Uh, so as they were getting ready to load up, they took food, and they took water, and they took off. Uh, and when they got there, the report that they, they gave was it is absolute, utter devastation, but you wouldn't believe how much the snack food that we were able to send and the waters that we were able to send fed. It felt like to them the fishes and loaves moment. Uh, and so even, even in tragedy, God is being glorified just in simple acts of kindness, giving, giving food, sandwiches, chips, water bottles, Coke Zeros, all, all of these things for the glory of God. And we are seeing him do many great things with it. So here's what we are asking you to do. If you would be interested and willing, uh, even as the plan continues to develop and we have a better understanding, again, of what is needed and what is not needed in the immediate um, this afternoon, if you are uh, subscribed to our churchwide emails, you should be getting a churchwide email this afternoon telling you how we are going to engage this and how you can be a part of it, okay? So be checking your email inboxes this afternoon. If you are not part of that mass distribution, you can go to our website and you can sign up for those emails. So you can do that. The second thing that you can do in this afternoon, once that plan is developed, it will go across our whole social media platform where you can learn more about our response and your response there as well. If you are willing right now, because this is all we know that we need in the moment, okay? There'll, there'll be more in the email of how you can partner with us at Kroger. You can partner with us at Lowe's. Like that, those are gonna be very tangible things this afternoon. 
But if you are here today and you say, Josh, the Lord has put it on my heart to, to give for the, his glory uh, over and above tithe, like, like we, we, want, we want to bless somebody in, 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 in disaster response, then you can do that. You can do that by giving online or marking uh, in, in your offering um, uh, that you were going to give towards this, this disaster relief, okay? Um, so that is what we know right now. More to come this afternoon, all right? Here's what I think would be best, even better served than water and, and sandwiches. Um, it is for us to pray. Um, and so, as you have found your way, I pray to Luke 22. Uh, I would love for us just to spend a few moments in prayer. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of silence on my end. And I want you just to go to the Father on behalf of all the people who have been affected, all the, the devastation that, that has been seen and yet to be understood. If you would right now join me in praying for this situation. Father, I love you and I thank you that we can come to you at all times and all places and you hear our prayer. I thank you, God, that you know what the people need even before they needed it. But Lord, we come as an act of worship. We come on behalf of our brothers and sisters who are trying to literally put pieces back together this morning. We come to you on behalf of brothers and sisters who maybe last week had a building to gather in for worship, but this week do not. We ask, Father, that you give them peace that surpasses all understanding. We ask, Father, that you would help them not be anxious about anything, but through prayer, petition, and supplication, they present their requests to you. And Lord, we ask that you would guard their heart and their mind in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that you give us collective wisdom on how we are to respond and also us individually wisdom on how we should respond. Help us, Father, be moved to action as we run to the hurting. They are not around the world this time. They are 50 miles away. Oh, Jesus, help us love well. Help us point people to you as we love them practically and personally but help us do it always for the sake of the gospel. Jesus, we love you and we thank you and it is in your powerful name that we pray this morning and all God's people said, amen. Well, church family, no doubt last week you had a treat as far as the sermon was, was, was presented. Uh, Pastor Sean Selman came and delivered Romans 13, at least the first part of that. And I promise you and I promised him that was not strategic. But favor ain't fair when the Lord says, sovereignly, Josh, you go on a ski vacation while Son preaches the first part of Romans 3. I'm not here to argue with the Lord's sovereignty today. I'm just happy it happened, okay? I'm just letting you know, he did an outstanding job. Can we give him a hand clap of appreciation this morning? Sean, as always, brother, fantastic. But this week we are going to, to deviate from Romans. Uh, in three weeks from today, uh, after Easter, the Sunday after Easter, we will jump back into the last part of Romans 13. But as it stands today, we jump into a, a new sermon series, and the series is called The Cup. Uh, and more than likely, more than likely, everything that we talk about is not going to be new to you. 
but maybe the meaning behind some of the things that we talk about may come into focus a little differently for you. As even this morning, as I've read through this many times, even over the course of this week reading it many times, it just hit different this morning. And so just as a word of warning, there are a lot of Sundays that, that our sermon texts are maybe, maybe between five and ten verses long. Today it's a little bit longer than that. There's going to be a lot of reading today, but I want you to feel the weight fully, unfettered, of, of what God's Word is communicating to us, specifically when we speak of the cup as we head into the Easter season. Okay, so, so as we look to this, I want to give you a little background of where we are in Luke chapter 22. It's always right to give uh, background information, but especially when you jump into the end of a book. Here, here's where we are. We are at the end of Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry. And he is heading to accomplish what he has been called to do. He knows exactly what that means. His disciples and the rest of the world have no clue. Where we pick up this morning in Luke chapter 22, it's immediately following their Passover meal, the Last Supper. Jesus goes out to the garden. It's at the base of the Mount of Olives. And it's a place that he goes often, but this time it's going to be a little bit different. As we see that, as we understand the weight of that, even, even as you have heard the, the video moving into the sermon time, it feels weightier and it should be. We move to God's Word, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. Luke 22, 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. All right, so... We, we've probably heard that passage a lot, especially over the Easter season. Um, when, when we see through the gospel lens, there, there is a similarity across the board. They are in the garden. They're at the foot of the Mount of Olives, and Jesus goes to pray, and, and his disciples are, are tasked to continue to pray. But Luke gives us a pretty rare vantage point, something that is beautiful and raw for, for both parties involved. We have, we have our Christ, our King, who is feeling this weight. This, he, he's feeling, feeling something that he has never experienced before, at least not in this tangible way. 
And then we also see that the disciples, in the other gospels, it feels like they're lazy or they're sleepy or they just don't understand the weight of the situation. Luke tells us a different story. He gives us clarity on what's going on. It's not that they were lazy. It's not that they were tired, but they were heartbroken because they saw the agony in their Savior and they didn't know what to do. And in their agony, in their exhaustion, they slept. That's what Luke's gospel tells us. But as we come to this, we are met with a question. And maybe it's not a question you've asked, but maybe it's one that you should. Here's the question. What would cause Christ Jesus to agonize so much that he would need an angel from heaven to come down and strengthen him? What would would cause him so much worry and so much pain? Another question. What would cause him to agonize to the point of praying so intensely that his sweat would become as drops of blood and those drops of blood would pour from his face and hit the ground what would seemingly for the very first time in recorded history cause Jesus to ask the father to do something differently than he was planning to do what was in that cup that is the heart of this entire sermon series For it is what we are going to find out about that answer. It is what we're going to find out about what was in that cup that will radically, I pray, shape the rest of our life. So with that being said, we remember the words that Jesus prays in the garden. Father, if it be your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. What is in the cup? There have been many thoughts about this. Many people have have thought on this for for years. There have been thoughts, well, well, maybe it's the betrayal of a good friend. Maybe it's Judas. He was mad about it. Maybe he knew of the arrest that would soon to come. The sham of a legal proceeding that he would soon face. Maybe it was the awful beating that he knew was in store in just a few hours away. Or maybe it was the physical cross, the pain, the humiliation, and the suffocation that would seemingly go on and on and on. Was this the cup that Jesus was asking the Father to remove from him? Church, let me be clear. Although those things are unimaginably awful, that's not what he was asking the Father to remove. Although I cannot fathom the, the experience that our Savior had on, those, on that last day, on that Good Friday. I can't imagine what he experienced, but that is not the fullness and totality of the cup. So what was in the cup? It was all of God's wrath for all of man's sin. That's what was in the cup. All of God's wrath... For all of mankind's sin was in that cup. And the Father sent his son Jesus to drink it all. All right, so so now that we we have that understanding, we have have the 30,000 foot view, I want to bring you in a little bit closer to see what was exactly in that cup. So I want you to keep your place in Luke chapter 22, and I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah 25. If you don't know where that is and you don't want to do that whole Bible flip thing, oh, I passed it, I don't know. Table of contents is your best friend. Go there, Jeremiah 25. You'll get there pretty quickly. Jeremiah 25. As you were finding your way there, 
Just again, as you jump into any book of the Bible, you need context. Jeremiah was known as the prophet to the nations. He also had another nickname. Does anybody know what his nickname was? The weeping prophet. And many times we don't know why he wept so much. Maybe it was because this follow-up book was Lamentation. But when you read what he is tasked to do in chapter 25, I wonder if we all become weeping prophets. Let's go to God's word. Jeremiah 25, verse 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending to them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and I made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah its kings and officials, to make them a desolation and a waste and a hissing and a curse. As to this day, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, his servants, officials, and all the people, and all the mixed tribes among them, all the kings of the land of Uz and the kings of the land of the Philistines, Edom, Moab, the sons of Ammon, the kings of Tyre, and all the kings of Sidon, and the kings of the coastlands across the sea, Dedan, Tima, Buzz, All who cut the corners of their hair, all the kings of Arabia and all the kings of the mixed tribes who dwell in the desert, all the kings of Zemir, all the kings of Elam, all the kings of Media, all the kings of the north, far and near, one after another, and all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth, and after them, the king of Babylon shall drink. So Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, and now we know why. His call, when God looks at him and says, I want you to be the man that speaks on my behalf, that's what a prophet does. So so a biblical prophet, when you hear someone say, I am a prophet, or I'm going to to prophesy, when when we read of the prophetess of the scriptures, we see that they are not making up something, that they are pulling out of the air. They have heard a word from God, and they are delivering it to God's people. There are many days for me that I enjoy standing in front of you for I believe I have a good gospel word full of love and grace and I can't wait to preach it. I cannot imagine what Jeremiah felt when he receives this. Because essentially what he just heard was, I have a mission for you and I want you to go into all of the world and I want you to make them drink the wrath that's in this cup. And maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and say, yes, Josh, the world needs God's wrath. Don't back down from that. Did you notice the people that he started with? Who's the first city? It's Jerusalem. It's God's city. It's the city of peace, Jerusalem. And Judah the capital of the southern kingdom. We, we, we see this. God is starting with his own people and essentially what he is saying, because of the sin of their heart and in their life, wrath is coming to them and there's nothing they can do to escape it. Everybody is affected. So Jeremiah is sent out to all the nations with a message of wrath. 
He goes into all the world, to every nation, to make them drink this cup that God has for them. And God starts with his people. The imagery that God gives Jeremiah is, is pretty startling. Here's what he says. Those that drink, and it will be given to all, will be like a person who is drunk, trying to fight off a skilled warrior with their sword. That may seem comical to some, but it should be sad and breaks your heart when you understand that this, this is the reality for everyone, for this is what sin does. Another way to hear this, no one will be able to stop God's judgment. There's nothing that they, that we, or you or I can do. But if that wasn't enough, the description gets much more vivid from here. Look at verse 27. Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk, vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword that I am sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink. For behold, I began to work disaster at the city that is called by mine. I started in Jerusalem. And shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished. For I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 30. You therefore shall prophesy against them with all of these words and say to them, the Lord will roar on high. From his holy habitation, utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. The clamor will resound to the ends of the earth and the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh. And the wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the furthest parts of the earth. And those pierced by the Lord on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other, and they shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall be like dung on the surface of the ground. Wail, you shepherds, and cry out. Roll in ashes, you lords of the flock. For the days of your slaughter and dispersion have come, and you shall fall like a choice vessel. No refuge will remain for the shepherds, nor escape for the lords of the flock. A voice, the cry of the shepherds, and the wail of the lords of the flock, for the Lord is laying waste to their pasture. And the peaceful folds are devastated. Because of the fierce anger of the Lord, like a lion, he has left his lair, for their land has become waste because of the sword of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. Church, that is what's in the cup. And so whenever we get to the Easter season, this season and every season that the Lord may allow us to see on this side of eternity, and we get to this moment where Jesus is agonizing in the garden and we wonder what would cause him to do that, it is this. All of God's wrath 
For all of mankind's sin is in this cup. And the Father has sent his Son to love the whole world that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But that can't happen without a really big word called atonement. Jesus has come to atone for our sin, meaning there has to be a payment. Jesus has come to pay the price that we couldn't pay, to take the wrath that is due to us, for us to be right with the Father. This is the cup. This is the reason for the agony in the garden. This is the reason for Jesus to ask the Father for this cup to pass from him. This is the reason for his sweat to be turned to drops of blood. The wrath of God is coming for sin. Prior to Christ, sin isn't just what people did. It's who they were. That that sounds distant, doesn't it? Let Let me change it and see if it feels any different to you. Prior to us coming to Christ, sin isn't something that we just messed up occasionally and did. It was our identity. It's who we were. It's what we lived for. When we would describe ourselves at the core of who we were, we would believe that about ourselves, that we were not enough. We may have known the right things to do, but we were never able to do it at least not sustain it. That's the wrath in the cup. Christ came and he took the cup and he drank it all for the glory of the Father and the good of mankind. And I'll remember, I'll remember this day that I'm about to share with you for the rest of my life. I pray I do. We, we are sitting very first year seminary students and we are sitting and are proclaiming the Bible class and, and our professor, and it's not to name drop just because uh, it, it, he, he wasn't who he is now, um, but it, it, was, it was just awesome to sit in his class. Um, Dr. David Platt was our, our preaching professor at the time, and, and to, to sit in his class was an unbelievable thing anyway. Um, for we, we sat in our first class, and he prayed for like 40, an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, and then the, the bell rang, and we left. We're like, well, that was cool. Uh, and then we came back, and then the whole next day, he prayed for a whole other hour and 45 minutes. Uh, and then the, the point was, he was saying that you will never be a good preacher until you are a good prayer. And I thought, that's awesome. But after he finished his week of praying, he gave us this illustration of, of atonement, of, of the satisfaction of the wrath of God. And I don't know why it resonated with me, but it did. So I want to share it with you. He said, imagine yourself standing at the edge of the ocean and you look out into the sea and everything looks calm and bliss and beautiful and there's no fear, there's no worry. And all of a sudden you look out and in the distance you see something that it doesn't look right but it doesn't look alarming. And then as time goes on you you see that in the distance whatever it is is getting closer to you. And then you look a little bit closer and and you you investigate a little bit more and and what you begin to realize is, is quickly something bad is happening but you don't quite understand what it is But as it becomes clearer, what we see is there is a tidal wave coming at you. The tidal wave is a thousand miles high and a thousand miles wide, and it's coming at you a thousand miles an hour, and there is nothing that you can do to fix it. 
You can't outrun it. You can't swim once it hits. You can't buy it out. You can't talk your way out of it. You are about to receive the full brunt of this wave. And so all we do is we sit there and fear. And all of a sudden, as the wave is speeding towards you at a thousand miles an hour, it's as if the ground opens up and the wave is eaten by the ground and the water is clear again. And so where we once feared the the sudden death that would soon be, there is now tranquil life like we've never been able to imagine. And I don't know why that was so meaningful to me, but it was because this is what I know. That wave was coming for me. That wave was coming for me for my sin. The wrath of God was coming to me. And no, it wasn't because God is mean. Church, it's because I deserved it. We deserve God's wrath. We broke his law time and time again. And if that's not bad enough, we love it when we do it. Holy God who created us and called us to himself. And time and time again, we'll look at him and say, I want nothing to do with you. But then sometimes we'll mix religion in and say, no, I want an hour to do with you on Sunday. I'll say this and I'll give this and I'll do this to make me feel better about me. But deep down inside, I know that I am no better off than I was. And so what we see here, this this wrath, what is in the cup, is we see Jesus agonizing over not just sin, uh, not just the wrath for sin of one person, but for all of humanity for all time. And so when he goes to the garden, before Judas and the the soldiers show up, there is great angst. And he goes to the Father and he prays, as he normally does, is what it says, as as his custom. He goes to the garden almost every night to, to pray and ask the Father for wisdom and to sit and to receive what the Father would have for him. But it's in this prayer that he prays something that we've not seen in the scriptures yet. God, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. I don't I don't want to drink this cup, but not my will be done but yours. Jesus was not scared of the cross. Jesus was not scared of a beating. He was not scared of Judas. He was not scared of the moment. But it was pretty weighty for him. He bore the full wrath of God on him. So as we get to the remainder of our text today, and we try to sort out what, What do we do with what we've just heard? Josh, this isn't the most encouraging message. I thought this was Easter, right? You can't know how good the good news is unless you know the bad news first. This is the reality. This is the wrath of God. So when we get to Romans, and and we've read through it already, and we see Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23, we know that, that all of us have fallen short of God's glory, and we know that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, so when we see that, we are, we are called to do something with what we've seen. So this is what we know today as Jesus went to the garden. And he prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. But don't let it be my will, Father, that prevails. Let it be yours. And next week as we get into the cross, 
and we see that he drinks the cup fully, it should change us. It should change not only our appreciation for him, but it should change also how we live our life for him. But there still has to be a question, right? What if we don't? Like Josh, if, if I listen carefully and if I, if, I, if I tilt my head the right way and I just kind of listen in, it almost sounds like you said that Jesus took all of God's wrath for all of mankind forever so everybody's okay. That's not the case. The opportunity for atonement is given to everyone, but not everyone will take it. And my question is for you, why not? Why, 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 why would you say after hearing this, after understanding we have the wrath of God coming at us thousand miles high, thousand miles wide at a thousand miles an hour and we can't escape it, why in the world would we say, no God, I got it my way. I can do it on my own. You know, there's coming another time. At least in recorded scripture, we have it. If you have your Bibles, Revelation 14. This is weighty, probably just as weighty as Jeremiah 25, but this has some figurative language in it. And I don't want you to get lost in the figurative language and miss the power of the, the message. Revelation 14. What happens? When people don't put their hope and trust in Christ, this is not to scare you, but this is to sober you, as I believe Jeremiah's message was as well. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink, what? The wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Now listen to me and listen clearly. Don't get caught up in the beast or the mark of the beast. If you do, you're gonna miss the point completely. People that chose not to put their hope and trust in Christ need not fear the beast or the mark of the beast. They need to fear the wrath of God. They will drink the cup poured full strength and it will be awful and it will be eternal. But this does not have to be the case. So the reason I bring this up, again, it's not a scare tactic. This isn't it at all, but this is to be true. For we are people who believe in the whole counsel of God. Because if we sit here week after week and say, oh, everything's fine, everything's just fine, and it's not, then we, I, have done a disservice to you and we as a church have done a disservice to one another. Holy God demands holiness. 
And that's not going to come from you or I trying harder to be better. That's going to come from us putting our hope and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And so if you are here today and you have been on the fence for quite some time because you don't know, well, I mean, I love Jesus or I love the idea of Jesus, but I also love my life and the way that it's going. This is where that life is going. It is coming at you a thousand miles an hour. It's a thousand miles high and it's a thousand miles wide and there's nothing you can do to stop it. But today you have the opportunity to put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, the one who drinks the cup fully and have that, that wrath completely atoned for and taken away. The question is, will you? Maybe even a better question is, what's stopping you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That whosoever is you. The question is, will you come? That is our invitation today as we move into this series called The Cup. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to hear your word. I know today was much weightier than normal but I am so thankful for the truth of your word, the joy that it brings and the sobriety that it brings. That as we even come now and we are considering what in the world do we do with what we've just heard. I pray, Father, for believers across this room that our hearts are moved to incredible worship for the wrath that was coming to us has been satisfied in Christ. That we are never, never, ever, never in a future and an eternal futures ever will we ever face that wrath again. Will we ever be called to drink from that cup again? That bitter cup. We will never touch our lips. For our Savior has drank it all. For the person in this room and maybe the people watching right now, God, who don't know you, they've never put their hope in Christ, I pray that they feel the full weight of this. That as they look around in this world today, it may feel like everything is calm and okay. But your wrath is coming. And it's not because you're mean. It's not because you hate them. It's because you are just and we are unjust. Apart from Christ, we are unjust. And so, Lord, I pray for those brothers and sisters right now. God, I pray that if they've, they've ever been on the fence about this, God, that today would be the day. I say, God, I give you my life. God, help us. Help us to respond rightly to the gospel. That in our depravity, you gave an opportunity for restoration. And that opportunity is Jesus Christ. So help us now in this invitation time. Respond however you call us to. Oh Jesus, don't let us wait. We love you. 
And it's in your powerful name that we pray and stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?